I've been with us the past few weeks, and if y'all were lucky enough to be there last week with Adam's amazing sermon about words, um, you know that we're going to be in James, and Adam set us up really, really well tonight. Uh, he was talking a lot about the words we use and the damage they can cause, but also um, how it can build others up, and we're kind of going to springboard off of that tonight in James 4, um, and just really talk about our relationships and um, see what you know, God has for us. Um, so before we start off tonight, we always go through our slides that we've been going through each summer. So let's kind of go through those real quick. Um, the who is James the Just, uh, the leader of the Jerusalem church. He is the brother of Jesus. Uh, what is a letter to a Jewish Christian house churches scattered throughout the region? Uh, early, mid-40s is the oldest book in the New Testament, and where is Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, the Mediterranean, Asia Minor, and Europe? Uh, it was a letter written to pastor them through difficulty uh, with this message. No matter what is going on, live out your faith. Um, I think that's it. So, before we get started tonight, um, I'm going to have three points. And I'm going to really tackle the first two points in the first part of the, uh, the chapter. So if I seem like I'm taking forever in the first part of the verses, don't worry. We won't take forever on every verse. So let's go ahead and, and start re- read through it real quick. It's James 4, uh, 1 through 12. It says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. But he gives us but he gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Okay, so let's start off in the first verse. Verse 1. Um, James is asking a question. He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? So right away we see that it's about relationships, okay? It's about issues between uh, the relationships within the body, with others, you know, anybody in your life. So let's kind of take this question and ask ourselves the same question. But first, quarrels. I don't know about y'all, but I don't really use quarrels in my vocabulary on a daily basis. 
And whenever I see the word quarrel, I just imagine like two squirrels fighting. I don't, I don't know why that is. I think it's because quarrel and squirrel rhyme. And I asked Jenny, and she says she thinks of two people fighting with swords. Um, I don't know. So basically it's bickering. It's conflict. There's conflict going on there. So what causes fights among you? And fights, it's not like, um, you know, Sabretooth and Wolverine fighting each other or something you see on reality TV. We don't really fight like that. Um, at least I hope not. But basically, I guess to define fighting, our fighting, when we have issues with each other, we say we have issues, we have drama. Um, so this person, you know, has, doesn't get along with this person. And basically, we do it in interesting ways. Um, it could be kind of, you know, sliding one another in, you know, just subtle ways, just condescending to somebody because maybe you have something against them or maybe because it makes you feel better um, to tear other people down. Um, it could be just, you know, withholding, you know, that love and attention from somebody. You know, if you got offended or you felt like someone disrespected you, you don't engage in that relationship anymore. And in severe cases, maybe you just stop the relationship altogether. You just sever that relationship. So basically, I think you, if you, if you think about it, you know, like, what are the issues you have with other people? That's what James is asking here. Um, so then he answers that. I mean, to answer that question, it, why do we get, have issues with each other? It's because maybe someone disrespected us or we feel like, you know, they think they're more important than us or they've put us down somehow or their views are contrary to ours, which makes us feel insecure. Um, a variety of things. Like Adam was talking about that maybe they said something that hurts you or they did something that hurts you. So that's what they would probably answer that question with. But then James says, is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? So basically, James really just took out a mirror and held it in front of their face and says, no, the issues you have with other people is a result of you. It's your issue. It's about your heart. So James says, it's your passions that are causing these issues. So let's define passions. Uh, again, this is not something we use on a regular basis. Um, so, you know, if I were to ask, like, maybe Cody, how does he feel about fishing? He would say, I like fishing. Now, we all know Cody loves to fish. So he's very passionate about fishing, but we just don't use that. So passions are our desires. It's what motivates us to do things. It's what motivates us to engage in relationships. Um, they're pretty much our driving force in a lot of things. Basically, James doesn't say what passions he's talking about here. So you can come up with a bunch of different examples of passions, whether it be um, strife, you know, resentment, all kinds of different things that you might have that would motivate you, um, jealousy, covetedness, anything. But basically, it all boils down to self-love, uh, selfishness, egocentrism. That's basically pride. The root of all these other passions stem from that. It's a love of yourself. So that's what James is saying here. So that's my first point, in that the problems you have with each other is because of your own passions. It's because of you. It's not because of what someone else did to you that you have a problem with it. It's because of how you react to that. It's a personal reaction. So that will be the first point. So what's interesting about this is that James, like his brother, asks a question and then answers that question with another question. So we call that the Socratic method, um, and that's something that Jesus did a lot. And basically what he's saying here is making another point, because if he's asking a question and then answering that question with another question, he's saying, you don't know, you don't get it, you don't know why you're having all these relationships. So you need to 
you know, reflect on these things. You need to participate in self-reflection. So, second point. Um, self-reflection with the Lord is crucial to identifying these passions. What's causing problems in our relationship? You know, you've got to process that with the Lord. You've got to bring it to Him and just reflect on your life. You know, what in this relationship? Why do I have a problem in this relationship? Why is this relationship so uh, unsatisfying and I'm discontent and I feel, you know, weird about it. something's wrong here. It's not, it's not, doesn't feel good. You know, what, what could be the issue there? So self-reflection with the Lord is key. So I made two points really quick, but don't be worried. It's okay. We're going to go into that. Um, so basically that's kind of what James is saying here, um, that there's, there needs to be a, a part of self-reflection in your life. And we can see that throughout the books of James, that he, he hints at that. So here James pointed out that we just don't logically connect that. We don't connect the issues we have with others with a problem with ourselves. So he's going to go into that. And um, you see in verse 2, you desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. So verse 2 is connecting our worldly passions. So when we're talking about passions before, these are worldly passions, things that are of the flesh. Things that are not, you know, pure and from the Lord. And if you notice at the beginning of this chapter, it says the title is Warning Against Worldliness. So we all probably have a lot of different definitions of worldliness, and we all have probably different things come to mind. But what James' definition of worldliness, what James is talking about, is strictly without God. And that's what he means by worldliness. So passions that are strictly about you and without God. So we see in verse 2 and, um, that he's connecting that our passions lead to actions. So that's what he's saying there. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Those are examples showing that what the product of our heart, our passions, are going to lead to our actions. So the reason you have relationships, their driving force in those relationships, are going to leave you to treat relationships as such. So if you are in a relationship with somebody because that person you know, makes me feel good, that person makes me feel you know, justified in a lot of things I do, so whenever I'm feeling insecure, I'm going to go talk to that person. Or this person you know, really agrees with me in a lot of things, so I feel like I identify with this person. So that's what I do with this person. Or these people, I feel good when I'm hanging around them. If you're making relationships based on what you can get out of it, then you're eventually going to be frustrated. You're going to be unfulfilled. Um, if it's about you, it's a worldly passion. It has to do with pride. And that just leads to discontentment. And the thing with worldly passions is you're, you're just never satisfied. You, you can feel good about it for a second, but eventually you're going to you know, be frustrated. You're going to want more and more and more. And that's not what God has called us to be, living-wise. That's not what he wants for us. Um, when we're replacing those passions with passions from the Lord, we're going to be content. We're going to see relationships in a different light. And we'll get to that a little bit more. So one thing Chris Cole said uh, in his sermon, he says that works are an outward expression of an inward state. And that very much relates to uh, what we're talking about in verse, two, uh, in verse 2 here. So let's go to verse 3. Um, at the end of verse 2, it says, You do not have because you do not ask. So he's hinting at the solution, prayer, seeking the Lord. In verse 3, it says, You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So sometimes that verse can throw people for a loop. You know, what, what's going on in my prayer life? Am I asking wrongly? I don't know what's going on here. So basically, what James is saying is that 
you're asked wrongly to spend it on your passion. So if you're viewing this relationship, your relationship with others, in a selfish way, in a private way, you're obviously going to pray to make that relationship what you want. Or even anything. You're going to ask God to fulfill your own desires. And why is God's not going to reinforce that? That's what James is saying here. God is not going to reinforce us seeking him just to fulfill our own selfish desires. He, he's there to you know, refine our desires. And that's what we're talking about further in point two. If you do not have because you do not ask, and you, or you ask wrongly to fill your own selfish desires, that, that leads to self-reflection. You know, seeking the Lord and asking him to show us where our desires are off in these certain situations, because we may not realize it, or seeking him to see, to ask him to refine our desires, or being okay with him denying our desires, or satisfying our desires. So really pursuing him to, to change our desires, to make him more like his, is crucial. All right, um, so we need self-reflection with him through prayer in order for our passions to be refined through him. So in verse 4, there's some strong language. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So those are kind of strong words, and at first they're kind of scary. Um, You adulterous people. Basically, what James is saying here is that we are pursuing the Lord, and we're also pursuing ourselves at the same time. And that's why James calls us adulterous people. Um, we're pursuing, we're, sometimes we may even you know, seek the Lord and use him to satisfy our own selfish desires. Uh, we do things like, you know, we say we, we love people, and we want to live in community, and that's important. But we only love people when it suits us, you know. We say, you know, oh, we're going to compromise with the world to get what we want, and then we're going to rely on our faith when it suits us. So two different ways of living uh, is what he's kind of saying, and that's why he says adulterous people. Um, So let's go look in verse 5. It says, Or do you suppose it is no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the Spirit he has made a dwell in us? So basically, um, he's... You know, James just said something pretty, you know, intense and pretty, pretty harsh. So then he comes back and says, you know, further hinting at what our relationship with God looks like. It says, you know, God yearns, wants a relationship with you. Um, it, he's not there to, to sit there and, you know, see how bad you're doing or, or how, you know, your prayer life is off and the issues you have in a relationship. He wants to change that relationship for the good. He wants to be there and have that relationship with you. Um, so he wants and desires that relationship. So if worldliness is without God, um, that leaves God out of the picture. And when we're pursuing things based off of pride, um, eventually we're going to fail. We're going to stumble. We're going to be unsatisfied and unfulfilled. And God wants to be an active part of your life, he, you know, abiding in him fully. So that's what we need to be striving for, and that God's ready for that. Um, Verse 6, it says, uh, But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So this is kind of an interesting verse in that it says more grace. And sometimes we, I think we, you know, read it when we were doing sermon prep, and we talked about it a little bit. You know, what does it mean, more grace? I thought I already, you know, I didn't know there was more or less grace. Really, what James is saying here is he's saying that pride doesn't require grace. 
Um, humility requires a lot of grace. And that's what James is saying here. Usually throughout this chapter, and definitely throughout James, he's, you know, pointing people towards a life of humility, pointing people to humble themselves to the Lord and surrender. So pride doesn't require any grace. You don't need it. You don't know you need it because you're relying solely on yourself. You're doing what you want to do. Um, But in humility, it requires a lot of grace. So humility is going to drink from the water, and pride would die of thirst with water in hand. Um, So that's what what he's saying there as far as more grace is that grace requires a lot of humility. And if we look again, um, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So that part of opposes the proud, opposes the pride, and that God actually you know, works against our own selfish desires. And not in a weird way, not to think that you know, somehow God causes bad things to happen to us, or God makes this bad thing happen to us, so we turn to him. No, that's, that's a distorted view of it. That would be a weird way of looking at it. But basically, you know, we don't need that. It's a tough love kind of way. God's constantly working to draw us close to him. And if we're living our life with pride and our own self-desires, you know, we're eventually going to fall on our face. You know, uh, living without the Lord is not a good place to live because you're living with a worldly narrative and the world is broken. So that you're going to experience that brokenness in your relationships. All right, so... Let's talk about 3D pictures. Didn't y'all remember like those 3D pictures in the early 90s where you had to like look and see something would come out? Anybody? Okay. Um, so whenever those first came out, you know, one kid would bring them to class and everyone would be excited. Everyone would be gathered around. And then there was that other kid that was like, you know, looking around. He's like, you know, the one kid that couldn't see it. Well, that was me. I never could see the 3D It took me forever. And so, at first I thought it might be like an elaborate joke, you know, like, <laughs> somehow they all get in, they're like, oh, we're going to make him, you know, because, you know, they tell you, like, you got to look, hold your nose to it, and then slowly take it back. Well, so, like, kids around the classroom are just doing that over and over again. No one knows what they're doing, and then you have, like, the teacher come in, doesn't know what's, she's like, what are you kids doing? You know, so, I couldn't get it. So... Everyone was just so amazed at what they had to see. And they're like, oh, it's an amazing steamboat. I don't know why. I don't know why, like, the person who did that decided that a steamboat would be a great, you know, first edition for a 3D picture. He must have liked steamboats. I don't know. But anyway, everyone's like, oh, yeah. So me, I'm like, okay, I can't see. I don't know what to do. You know, I look like a fool. So I'm like, oh, yeah, I totally see the steamboat. It's awesome. It's great, guys. So I'm just, like, playing into it. So then I would, like, secretly practice on my own, trying to see it. And I realized that... You have to, like, trick your brain into having bad eyesight to see it. So that's at least what I told myself. And uh, so eventually I finally saw it. And I was like, yes, I'm so proud of myself. I finally saw it. And then I was like, oh, it's okay. It's just like a silhouette of a steamboat. There's no detail. So it's really like a gimmick. And I was like, oh, man, I thought it was going to like this beautiful thing I've never seen before. It wasn't. So someone told me that I had to have, like, an interesting segue to break up my sermon. So that was it. So I don't know really how that relates to it. I don't know how that relates. Um, maybe we'll get back to it. So, sorry. So, let's move on. Let's first start. I'm going to try and make my third point. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. 
Um, I like this verse. It, it might be one of my favorite verses in a lot of ways. Um, basically, it's kind of saying, draw near to God and he will draw near to you, which we hear on, on a regular basis on Sundays. Uh, it's not a one-way street. He makes it easy. One thing Jake said, uh, he said that surrender is a theme of James, which we obviously see here, you know, submitting yourself to the Lord. Uh, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Um, resist the devil and he will flee from you. So this is another interesting verse, I think. Um, one of the commentaries that I read said that um, a wolf does not attack the sheep closest to the shepherd, which I think is a good way of viewing this. Um, personally, the way, what I took from it was I think that we all have, you know, we all see things in our mind. When we read something, we have some imagery. So it may be us, like, resisting the devil and running away from him. But um, for me, I do a lot of counseling for a living. So I'm constantly working with, you know, people who are dealing with depression and things like that. And one of the uh, most common symptoms of depression is negative thinking. See, this in basically all cases of depression, which negative thing is negative thoughts about your environment, about yourself, things like that. And essentially, I work with them to kind of identify their negative thoughts and, you know, maybe put in an alternative thought there, something that's more rational, because these thoughts are really distorted. They're not reality, and they're certainly not in the truth, the truth we have as Christians in our faith. So we work on correcting those thoughts. And the interesting thing about the brain is that whenever you have a negative thought or an anxious thought, your brain is going to dwell on it over and over and over again. So it seems like you have no control of it. So the truth is, you actually do have some control over it, and that's what we work on. And the interesting thing is that the more you combat those negative thoughts, the more you try to replace them with rational thoughts and not give time and energy thinking about them and dwelling on them, they're eventually going to decrease over time and then go away. So your brain stops bringing them up in your consciousness. So that's pretty interesting, and that's kind of how I relate it to this, in that our worldly passions, when we make our relationships about us, and we focus on what other people can give me, and if you make me happy, or you make me happy, or if I agree with you, we're eventually going to feel empty, and frustrated, and discontent, and fall on our face. So we really have to continue to reflect with the Lord, and ask Him to change those desires, to not feed the desires, because the more we feed it, the more we're going to actively live in it. But the more we feed, you know, our prayer life and desires from the Lord and have God come replace those desires, refine our desires to be more like his desires, we're going to realize more and more our relationships are going to be stronger. They're going to be more, you know, Christ-centered, Christ-like. And we're not going to feed those, those patterns of the world and the worldly desires that really trip us up. So that's kind of what I took from that. Let's look at verse 9. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Well, this is, that's kind of like a depressing verse. Um, it's, it's basically not calling us to be depressed. That's not what James is saying. A lot of us will look at that and just, just see you know, gloom and mourning and just not fun. Basically, when he's talking about laughter, he's talking about a pompous laughter, a haughty laughter, a pride-filled laughter. Not, you know, joy laughter, but like the laughter of what, like, the joker would laugh. That's what he's talking about. He's saying, replace that with a sense of, of mourning, with a sense of seeing your worldly passions for what they really are. And it's not of God. It's worldliness without God. And just having the opposite reaction to a prideful laugh. It's not saying be depressed. He's talking about conviction, conviction here. And when we see, you know, how we damage relationships because of our own pride... 
we're not going to have a, a we're not going to laugh about it. We're not going to have a, a positive reaction to that. We're going to have a, the opposite reaction. So, just getting away from that and seeing, you know, what those worldly desires really do to your spiritual life and do to relationships, and that's not going to be um, a joyful reaction. It's not going to be depressing. It's going to be convicting. Seeing your sins for what they really are. Um, so let's look at verse 10. Um, again, pointing towards humility. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. So James is constantly hinting at, saying, you know, you need to really examine your lives with the Lord. You need to think about how you're affecting these relationships. And, and stop, you know, just because you think it and feel it, don't believe it's true. Examine yourselves with the Lord and become more humble. And James basically just point, comes out and says it here. And that's something, a theme of, of what he's talking about here. Um, the last two verses, 11 and 12. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Basically, this is pretty straightforward. Uh, he's talking about when you speak towards others, when we speak evil towards others, you're essentially speaking evil towards, towards God, towards God's creation. When you judge others, you put yourself equal with God. Um, it's pretty straightforward, two verses saying, you know, I don't think any of us in here would say, yeah, I'm going to put myself equal with God. But when we think we know better, and we think, hey, I'm going to compromise with the world, get kind of what I want out of this week, and then, you know, then if there's time left, I'll have, you know, sit down with the Lord, engage in my prayer life, go to church, those kind of things. Basically, when you put yourself first in relationships and you judge others, you're essentially judging the law, making yourself a judge. So again, that's what James is worrying about. I mean, it's just kind of like what Pine says, you know, when you're, he said in his sermon, partiality lessens people made in Christ's image. And that's what it's about. You know, Adam touched on it as well. You know, not viewing your relationships for what you can get out of them. The proper way to view your relationship is what you can give to somebody else. Um, a lot of times, people will sit back and will say, you know, we're just maybe feeling lonely. You know, maybe we don't have enough as good friends as we think we do. And what, it has a self-focused view of relationships with others. Instead, you know, we need to view our relationships in a different way and seeing, you know, how can we contribute to other people's lives? Or does that person really need a friend in their life? Or does that person really need wisdom or guidance from us? So that's my, my third point, is that only God can heal the desires of your heart. That's to sum it up. Only God can change and refine your desires. If you were to try to do it on your own, that would be a prideful way of doing it. If you were to try to take advice from the world on how to have successful relationships, it's eventually not going to be that successful or fulfilling. It may on paper, maybe you don't have a lot of fights, but if it's not you know, the way God wants it to be, it's not Christ-like and in you know, God's image, it's eventually going to lead you to discontentment and cause issues. So only God can, can, can refine your desires um, and seeking him and just in your prayer life, asking God, you know, if you're offended by someone, or say you have an issue with somebody, somebody's made you angry or sad, just realizing that, and asking God to figure out why. Why are you angry and sad over what just happened? Which is kind of another thing that's important that I don't think a lot of people think about sometimes is, you know, no one can make you angry or sad. It's true. Some people may do things that make you angry or sad, but you're responsible for your own emotions and your own feelings. 
Okay, the reason you're sad is a personal issue. Did they hurt your pride? Did they hurt your ego? You know, the reason you're angry is a personal issue. If they could control your emotions and make you angry, then you would just be their puppet. So sorry of realizing what in me made me so offended of that. You know, was I, did I feel like I was up here and, and they made me feel down here? Again, a pride, self-focused mindset. So, um, one of the, or the fruits, I think, that um, one of the commentaries said is that when you're living your life uh, in a state of humility and you're truly humble in your relationships, then you're allowing God to give you all those desires and passions that you engage in relationships with. And in that, he said that there will be no more awkward conversations, which immediately I thought that was kind of interesting. Basically, it was kind of interesting because this, this guy's... Um, I think it was like 50 years ago or something like that. He was talking about it. And he said, when you, when you go into church and you ask somebody, hey, how are you doing? And they say, good. And they say, oh, okay, how was your week? And they say, it, it was good. What would you do? Well, it worked. It was okay. He's saying that those relationships, those kind of interactions with people are slowly going to decrease and decrease when we're letting God refine our own desires. And that's because that naturally we're going to want to talk with more. We're going to engage more because why do we talk less sometimes? Sometimes it could be retired, we're tired, yes. But mostly it could be that we're afraid that we're going to be judged by somebody else. Are they going to think our week was really lame? Are they not going to like where we worked or what we did? Or they wouldn't be concerned with our thoughts. You know, they're, We're just not cool enough. We're afraid of how they might react to what we would say. Or afraid of taking up too much of their time and they become bored with us. There's a lot of self-focused reasons why we don't engage with others. Or especially with people we don't know that well. So he's saying when you're operating over with the overflow of your heart, with God's desires and God's passions, you're leaving out those worldly passions, that's going to become more and more a part of your relationship with others and your relationship with those like in your church body and things like that. So that was kind of a cool example. Um, so the goal of all this, I guess, is that only God can replace our selfishness with his pure desires, relying on his grace through humility. And I think that's one of the main things James was getting at among other things. So the band can kind of come up and uh, we'll wind down. Um, As I was saying before with the random 3D picture, um, I think that's kind of in a way can relate to how we see our relationships. Um, When we're operating from our worldly passions and worldly desires, we're going to see, you know, nothing. We're just going to see, you know, the neon uh, blue and purple pixels, and we're just going to not know what that picture is. But when we're truly investing in others and doing things, seeing relationships for not just what we can get out of them, but for how we can invest in the lives of others and love others, we're going to see that deepen, and we're going to see that, you know, 3D whatever, and we're going to see that relationship deepen that we didn't even know was there. Um, So that's basically what I have to say tonight. Um, so let's close the prayer. Uh, dear Lord God, we just thank you so much for just allowing us to come here tonight, Lord God, and just blessing us in so many ways throughout the week. We ask that you just open up our hearts, Lord God, to um, our own desires and the things uh, we do on a regular basis and what motivates us in our relationships. And just how to repair those relationships that have become damaged through our own pride or through our own ego. And just continue to bring those to light each and every day and just allow us to search our hearts with you, Lord God, so where you can point out 
um, what desires that we have, what passions that we have that need to be refined to be more like yours, and what we just need to get rid of and eliminate, and that we just don't need to focus on anymore, that we don't need to view those relationships that way anymore, we don't need to view people that way anymore, and then what desires we have that we need to continue to feed and that you're actively satisfying each and every day, sustaining us, Lord God, and remind us that um, to show us each and more and more each and every day, Lord God, how much we need you and just to become more humble and let go of our pride and just to, to rest in your grace that is satisfying and always more than enough, Lord God. Uh, we just have to continue to repair the relations that are broken, strengthen the ones that we have, Lord God, and, and just continue to allow us to see people for um, who they are and how you see them and not operate from a stance of pride. We thank you so much for all you've done to us, for us each and every day. We thank you so much for all the many blessings as you continue to bless us and draw us close to you. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.